0: business strategy tips, and more. Let's get to it. Hey guys, before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know I have a full checklist with all of your workshop or retreat planning tips step-by-step. So if you wanna get that checklist sent straight to your inbox to save it and you don't wanna take notes during this episode, go to haleyroad.com/ slash retreats and you'll be able to sign up for that checklist. I can't wait to dive into today's episode. Let's get to it. All right, I'm with Amanda Huggins, who is an anxiety coach. And Amanda, before we get into today's episode all about how you rock retreats, how you plan events, how you do your one-on-one coaching business, I first wanna just ask you, about your background and kind of your transition story from transi- transitioning your business from being um, all about yoga and kind of being more of a health coach to shifting to anxiety because a lot of our audience, it they're health coaches and oftentimes they'll want to rebrand themselves or they'll make you know, they'll start with one thing, but then they grow and evolve. And so I think your story would be really interesting to our audience about how you did that in such a fast and really successful way. Sure. Um, Yeah, it's so interesting, because I,
1: yes, I technically started as a yoga teacher. But even before that, I spent like seven or eight years full time in the tech industry. And So there were actually like two major transitions in my life. And I kind of look at it as each transition was just one step closer to my calling. Um, And I think the transition from yoga teacher to anxiety coach was a little bit more natural because what I liked most about teaching yoga was it was the conversations i was having with students after class and it was the way that i was connecting with them on social media and through email and that dialogue where it was less about the physicality and more about the conceptual awareness and the emotional aware- awareness um that became really interesting to me and i knew for a while that i wanted to do that full time but it actually took a while to figure out what my niche was and actually I'm just realizing this as I'm talking, the day I met you, when so Haley and I met, for anyone listening, we met at a bulletproof conference two years ago, I think.
0: Yeah, probably, two and a half
1: years. Yeah, so I actually, I, I don't even remember who was on stage, but I remember it was the last day and I was sitting in the audience and I realized I was doing a little reflection and everyone on stage was like, I've had a mentor, I've had a mentor, I've had a mentor. And I was like, I really need a new mentor. And it also dawned on me in that moment, oh, my God, what is the thing that I have the most experience overcoming? What do I love talking about the most? Anxiety. And, and, you know, shifting the relationship to it. So it was actually that day that I was like, okay, (laughs) we have the new direction. Um, And in terms of the transition itself, because – My entire social presence was originally built within the yoga community. Um, I used to be the feisty yogi. And to be perfectly honest, I think the reason the transition was so successful is because I didn't doubt myself. It just became very clear that I I couldn't toe both sides of the line. I couldn't pseudo brand myself still as a yoga teacher and be primarily talking about anxiety and mental health. And honestly, when I sort of switched my branding over and switched my, my email and my account names and all of that over, I actually got some negative feedback. Um, but the trick was that I had, I had kind of braced myself for it because I knew that that would happen. That happens anytime you're, you're facing a shift. Um, but I was really grounded in the direction that I wanted to go in and eventually everything really just aligned and yeah, here I am.
0: Yes. So I met Amanda, like she said, at the Bulletproof Conference at the Oxygen Bar, and we both had uh, like oxygen tubes up our nose, and I was like, this girl seems nice, and uh, we just started talking, and you, what really shows and what why I think you've been so successful in going from one focus to another that's not even entirely different, but somewhat, it required a lot of change on your part. Um, is because you're just authentic and one of the quotes that I kind of like is there's no competition when you're in alignment and when you're like living your truth like you can't beat someone you can't not do a good job when you're living your truth and so when you expanded and said you know I want to there's more to this story and I want to be focused on anxiety I think that even though like you said you had the negative feedback from some, you probably were so focused on the fact that you felt so good about where you were going and what you were doing, and that it's your truth that it didn't even matter. Your desire was bigger than your doubts. So yeah, and I love that. And I didn't realize that it was that day we met. (laughs) That's so fun. That's such a fun story. Okay, let's move to your career path. Because everybody who might not know you, they should definitely follow you on Instagram because you're super real. You share your journey. I've gotten to see a lot of your growth. Um, You mean you were already killing it when I met you, but you've just seemed to come really far in your business. And you probably don't get to talk about that a lot because you're more focused on actually providing anxiety tips uh, for your crew over there. So, Um, I want to shift to talking about events and retreats. So you've been leading a lot of these things over the years. And for people who are new to this, there were a lot of common questions that I got. And so I want to get into those first. So let's first go over what was your very first event and how did you know it was time to do that in your business? Wow, that's a good question. I think
1: my first event... Was with uh, it was it was with this um, organization called Holisticism, um, sort of an acronym or not an acronym, but a, a version of holistic mystic realism, which was very much in alignment with the community, part of the community that I speak to, right? It's uh, people who read their their horoscope but also read the New York Times, um, and the opportunity sort of came across my plate at that point to co lead a rich, uh, a workshop with this um, author, Katie Dalabout. And I was really nervous about it because it was, you know, when you do an event, there's visibility that you haven't been exposed to yet, especially when it's your very first event. And that can be a really interesting mental game. Um, so that was probably about two years ago at this point. And I remember the day before that opportunity came across my desk, I was meeting with my mentor and she just looked at me in the eye and she was like, you know, you have to start doing events right now. Right. It's like, you're, you're keeping yourself small by not doing them. And I was like, Oh, it's another fear block. I have to like move through. And then once you do it, it's, it's, there's something really rewarding about the in-person connection with people and that you start to use as fuel and inspiration to create future events too, which I really love because it starts this really nice cycle of of connection and information sharing.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you had a mentor that kind of pushed you a little bit into it outside of your comfort zone. And I guess my question for you is, where were you at numbers? Like, were you fully booked as, because let me back up a little bit. A lot of business training programs and business coaches say, no, you should start with one-on-one coaching, focus on that fully, fill your books with that, and then scale to things like events, group programs, because you have enough people, you've built your audience enough to the point where you can now expand to something like that. Um, But for me personally, I've I've done a little bit of both. I've done a local, small, I mean, we're not talking like, you know, Bulletproof conference or anything, but small events locally. While it was still growing and just as a way to get known in the community, um, but you know, some people would argue, wait and focus on one thing. So, when did you know numbers wise, or like you could pull it off, or or was there no rules and you just went for it?
1: It's so interesting. It's kind of a mix of both because I'm very much a Type A person, and that's partially like my marketing background and background in tech, where I love formatting and I love process, but I also know that deep adherence to a process, especially one that you didn't create, something that someone else told you to follow, um, that eventually will become, I think, I think it'll slow you down. So, you know, similar to you, I was doing my own stuff. I was doing some one-on-one coaching, but I don't think there's anything wrong with doing one-on-one and gathering uh, information or creating workshops in tandem because they can feed each other, right? You could potentially host a workshop. And, and of course, you want to host it in a place where you can get exposure to a new demographic of people. You know, it's friends of friends or people who attend the studio or whatever the place is because they could become clients. Those things can feed each other, which I think is really nice. Um, but the biggest piece really is that when you adhere to i need to have x amount of clients first and then focus on events what you're doing is you're blocking possibility and that's that's really what i care more about is your mental and your emotional approach to building your business if you think you need to follow a certain pattern that's indicating that you don't believe in yourself enough to call in the right people i firmly believe that if there is something you want to do whether it's an event or a retreat or a workshop or something if you had that idea, you already have the resources in place to create that thing. It just might take a little bit of muscling or a little bit of willpower to find it, but it's there. And so, yeah, that adherence to a structure, it can be damaging, I think. Why not try it all?
0: Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. And that really pulls in like manifest, manifesting and all of that stuff. I can tell you're into that. Um, but it, it's a, it's kind of like if you have the desire to do it, if there, there's a will, there's a way. Um, and so I like how you approached it. And, and that is really true too, the whole perfectionism blocking thing, where if only I get this amount, then I'll move on to the next thing. And you're holding yourself back from other possibilities. So very interesting to hear you answer that question. Um, so now let's say you've decided you want to do an event and you're like, okay, what do I do now? How do I take this idea in my head and start to plan this? Like, where do I find, let's start with location. How do you find a good location for your event? Do you literally just rent at Airbnb for a day or, you know, tell me what you do. I've been really
1: fortunate in that I'm usually working with some small team to help put it on, um, I don't have necessarily a large team of my own, but usually through like friends or or colleagues in one way or another, um, there's some sort of support. So for example, with one event that I put on, I found someone on Instagram and I was like, hey, I saw that you did an event at this place. You know, what are the rates? I, I, I think the first step is just research, right? Researching places where you think it would be a good space to hold the people and to hold the conversation. So when I say that, I mean if you're doing something like deeply intimate and emotional and you really want to pull like deep insights out of these people, holding it in the basement of like a school, not the right vibe. And and I, I believe it's those little details, like really thinking about, you know, what is gonna help cultivate the results that I want for these people, starting with that and then looking for spaces within your budget is Awesome. Airbnb is also great for that. And they do day rates. And, um, what is the other one? You know, there's, there's like not co-working spaces, uh, breathers. Um, I I don't know if breather is still around, but at one point I was using it where you can rent out, um, you know, spaces, office rooms, conference rooms, uh, for like one to two hours at a time through an app. Again, Not sure if that exists anymore, but that was really helpful at one point, too. Very
0: cool. It was an app, Breathers? Yeah, I wonder if it's
1: still around.
0: Very cool. Well, we'll have to, if it is, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, What about, now that you know, okay, you're going to host it somewhere, financially planning for it can be scary because, first of all, you want to make sure that the topic is marketable and something that people will pay for. So how do you go about that part? Yeah, that's, that's, that's something that I still give a little extra
1: thought to, where, whereas other aspects of retreat or event planning feel a little bit more natural. This is the one where even I personally slow down a little bit. My approach has always been to listen first. You know, if you have a community, ask them what they're curious about, ask them what they're struggling with, and then build something marketable off of that. Or look around at people that you admire, look around at really successful workshops that you've attended, and get really clear on what was sticky about the original messaging, right? I I find that when you can give some sort of potential solution in the upfront, like heal your anxiety, with these three steps, which by the way, I would never market because there's not three steps to healing your anxiety, but
0: <laughs> you see where I'm going. Okay. So you, you want to do some market research around that and that makes complete sense. It's just like with any project. Um, so, but what about now you've come up with a topic, you have a location and you have to make sure that you're not spending too much money on everything and charging the right price. So how do you come up with that part?
1: So the price thing is is where I would start. I think most people undersell themselves or their price point because they're afraid that people won't attend if that price point is higher. You speak your value to people by how much you charge. And that has to be done in integrity, right? And integrity goes on both sides of the spectrum. You don't want to overcharge if you truly and authentically feel you cannot deliver on that price point. But I think more often people undercharge because they're afraid, you know, what if I, what if only 10 people show up instead of 20? And to that I would say, do the higher price point. If that feels more authentically resonant with you, so what if only 10 people come? Then they're 10 very committed people, and those are the people you actually want there. They're probably in the market that you want, they probably have the mindset you want, and I guarantee they have other people to refer to you. And again, if you're thinking about having a feedback loop between your client base and the external events that you're creating, that's another opportunity, right? It's word of mouth. So those 10 people are probably much more valuable than 20 randos who came for a $20 workshop.
0: Right. Totally. when one thing we kind of probably didn't discuss when you were saying how to plan it for something that people would pay for is the importance of picking who are the type of people you want to go to this workshop instead of saying it's for everybody who wants to lose weight. So that's what it's for (laughs) anybody and everybody and versus, you know, and especially for when you're creating this space, like you said, where people feel comfortable sharing and you're in a group with, you know, people who are from all over the place, like no tight niche at all. And they might not feel comfortable. So, for example, if it's an all-women's event, you might feel more open to sharing. Okay, so that's good. So you come up, and I love what you said about not undervaluing yourself. That's something that I've done in the past for sure. And I think that people have the wrong perspective on price. They think of it as you're just paying me money, you're just giving me money, versus they are investing in their transformation. You are providing results, market with the results, and that's how much you should charge. How much do you believe in their transformation? That's what the price is all about, totally. So now that you, we've already planned the price, the marketing, you know, who it's for, what it is, where it's gonna be, and now you have to make sure that it sells. Have you ever had an event that you kind of plan and then like nobody ends up signing up and you have to cancel it? You know, I haven't ever had to cancel
1: an event, uh, thankfully, but I have, there have been times when I've been nervous about the number of attendees, which is actually why I mentioned that like 10 versus 20 example uh, just before, Um, because in those moments where, you know, there might've been 15 people when I was hoping to get like 30 or 40, Sometimes those have been the most special and I wound up feeling like extra grateful for a slightly smaller room. But I think the trick is one is you have to lead with confidence, right? And, and of course I get into like the energetic and the manifestation aspect of this, but, but if you are, if there is a P of fear in you, what if people don't show up? What if people don't attend? That P of fear is not anything. It has nothing to do with the attendees. It has everything to do with your relationship to yourself. And how much you believe that you can show up for this event. So, you have to be so deeply rooted, confident, willing, and able to show up for these people that that is an energetic that's felt. People will be drawn. They'll want to come to an event like that because they can see in you, ideally, the changes that they're trying to make. Um, and there, there, there's an element of, of authenticity. I mean, it's entirely authentic uh, when you're promoting the event, too, right? It's like, It's a fine line between, hey, come to my event and being really cheesy, like, you need to come to this event, change your life and like whatever, you know, and we've all seen that, like when it goes too far onto the needy or the cheesy side of the spectrum. And I think from a marketing perspective, when you want to have a packed room, just talk about the experience, you know, give people a little insight into, um, you know, what you learned that you're going to share there and and show your process too. I think that's really interesting for people is when I'm planning an event, I show, I'm like, Hey guys, like here are some of the things I'm thinking about. Not sure what the rest are, you know, a couple of months out so that it gets people excited. Like, huh, I wonder what might come next. And it also creates an element of humanity, right? So that you're not this like random or scary person putting on an event for them. They've sort of seen your process. So there's a little bit more connection. And when you have that connection, other people are much more likely to show up for you.
0: Absolutely. So planning as you go and kind of getting your audience engaged with you as you're getting it ready to create a little bit of excitement. And what about other marketing tactics? Like I know that you've partnered with people in the past. So you've had a, kind of a, both of you guys or partners marketing it to their audience, you marketing it to yours. First, before we go into marketing tactics, would you recommend partnering with someone for an event or, you know, obviously it depends, but what would be your thoughts on that?
1: I think especially if this is like your first or second event, it's a great idea to partner with someone or, with a studio or a space that's done events in the past because there's dual benefit. You get the um, like secondhand experience, they can kind of lead the way in terms of setup and things like that, but it also takes the edge off of any fear you might have or, or holding the sole responsibility for it going right. So I think that that's a great idea and if your audience is a little smaller, you can get exposure to a new set of people. Um, so there's there's a ton of benefits to, to partnering with someone, I think.
0: Um, so what was the second question? We'll get into it, but now I want to add to this. (laughs) This is juicy. So yes, let's say they do want to partner with someone, but they're like, how do I ask them? How do I, you know, this person seems a little out of my league. I don't know, you know, what, how, and I'm always, you know, at the end of the day, unfortunately in business, it's a lot of what's in it, Me and we can't really get around that. And so, how do you, in a way that doesn't feel weird or icky or you know, like you're not a burden? um, And this goes back to self worth, really. um, But how do you get up the courage? Because I know there's going to be listeners listening who feel like I don't know who to ask and what, what to say. And how do I? What do you do? How do you confidently go about finding a partner?
1: a great question. Um, and I think there are a couple tiers to it. So if you're really first starting out, just look for someone who's a couple of steps ahead of you, right? Not, not a mountain's worth of space ahead of you. Not that you don't have the ability to work with that person yet, but you want to get your legs first. You want to get a little bit of experience. So work with someone who's doing what you've been doing for a couple of years longer maybe you know them maybe you can get an introduction to them those those warm leads are really nice because it creates this little uh cocoon of you know I, I'm going to call it pseudo safety because there's never true safety in an outreach right there's a little vulnerability there but um you know a warm lead is really nice when you're within you know one or two layers of your your personal bubble but you always have your sights set on that dream partner I think that's really important is to not, you know, I'm not a fan of aiming small. I like to have a large vision and hold that vision, but then use that as my lens for how I select partners and how I select marketing opportunities. Will partnering with this type of person help me or hurt me in reaching my ultimate goal of working with X person or doing this thing? And that's not in a holier than thou way. It's in a very discretionary way um and and you know, I think you mentioned like a little bit of uh internal belief or self worth you know that comes into play too, because even when you are reaching out to people a couple of steps ahead of you, that never means that they are better than you, and it doesn't mean that you are better than them, and you have to remember that they just might know a little bit more right now or they might think a little bit differently, but you can't let someone else's progress uh you know rain on your your growth parade, uh, which is kind of cheesy, but it's true. And, and to really level set and remember they are just people. I am a person and I actually really respect them. Everyone loves hearing that someone wants to work with them, they, that they're respected. Like worst case scenario, they're flattered
0: and they say no. Great. Move on. There's always more. Oh, this is good. This is very good. I'm very excited <laughs> about this. Um, So now, marketing. So now, let's say you do have a partner, or maybe you're going at this by yourself, and you said you share the journey of the planning to get people excited. What else do you do marketing-wise to promote an event? That's a super general question, but maybe you can start with that. Sure. Um, so I think on like, the
1: most tactical level, it's to cast a wide net right? So I'm talking about it on Instagram posts and in Instagram stories, I'll send usually some sort of um, email drip campaign, right? So like people who open, get it sent, you know, MailChimp can walk you through all of that. Drip
0: campaigns are basically sending one email, waiting a few days, sending another one. It's all building up and adding on to each other.
1: Yeah. and, And, you know, email services make it really easy now to do that on like, a low key level. I mean, if you're at a big corporation, they're very complicated. But for for a business owner, it's fine. Um, so you know, all of the normal tactical stuff. I actually still really like, and I can't believe I'm saying this because it's almost embarrassing, but I do like having something physical. If you are in a place where you interact with people a lot, so for example, as a yoga teacher, or if you're you know a health coach and you speak to groups often having like little handouts, like tiny ones, right? No one wants a big piece of paper, but a little something with the photo of your event, especially if it's a retreat, people connect with visuals. And so I, that's not to be underrated, especially when it comes to yoga retreats.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Good old uh, flyers. Yeah, Good old, yeah. Yeah. All right. And
1: the other thing I was going to say is like, on a non-tactical and more emotional level, And this goes for, for even just coaching and and calling in clients, people buy the coach, they buy the teacher, right? If someone wants to go to Costa Rica, they could just easily go to Costa Rica and have their own retreat that they plan themselves. But people who are coming on my retreat with my partner, uh, Brendan Burns and I, it's because they want to learn from either me or Brendan or the combination of the two, um, but it's not just the learning it's it's the way that we are right if i was like if i had a different personality we would have a different group of people coming with us so don't undersell the fact that people actually like you people want to to go to the events that you you're hosting so show your personality show how you show up when you host events like that
0: totally okay so all the regular you know marketing campaigns with or just using social media using email marketing knowing that it is about you as a personal brand and do you like reach out to people privately? Do you do paid advertising ever? Um Is that something you've you've done in the past? So I,
1: I, I mean, my background is in paid advertising to a degree. So I, as much as I know how to do it, truly, I hate doing it because to do it right. Um, I, I, I'm again, type A, so I like to monitor everything. And I've actually found that at least in the events that I've planned so far, I've had more bang for my buck with independent outreaches because there's thought behind that, right? We're in an age where connection is, uh, it's just getting lost so quickly. So if you can, you know, sit down, whenever I do an event, I think of five to 10 people I know that I think would genuinely benefit from this event. And you reach out in a way that's really authentic, like, Hey, I am hosting this entrepreneurship and wellness retreat in Costa Rica and I know that you're working on leaving your company and starting your own thing and I feel like this would be amazing for you. If you want to talk about it, like let's talk.
0: I think what's so key about that is you invited them to talk about it with you versus here's a link, sign up, can't wait to see you, you know, like and you you literally genuinely thought of people who would benefit from it. You're not just Lying, you know, copying, pasting a message to everyone, you know, and so I think there there's a real personal touch and finesse when it comes to reaching out to people personally. Um, so that is speaks volumes that you actually take the time to do that because we all know how busy Amanda is. Um, and now I want to kind of move into you're at the retreat. And you want to set up a welcoming environment. And you also don't want to be a nervous speaker. So let's talk about first how to create a welcoming environment so your peeps participate and they're you know, getting good results and gonna give you great reviews and leave feeling great. What do you do to set that up? It's
1: so funny because I was just having this conversation like two or three days ago. Um, there are a couple a couple elements to this one is before a retreat specifically I send out an intake form um, which sounds very clinical but really it's just like hey tell me about yourself like what are you why are you actually coming on this retreat what do you actually need what are the things you're most interested in so that I have that information before I even meet these people because for me a lot of the people that come on um, my retreats or come to my events I've met on the internet but I haven't met in real life, right? So I want to actually know like them on a, a more emotional level so that when they come on the retreat, uh, there's a little bit more connection. Now, before any of the events for the retreats start, I like to schedule 10 to 15 minutes one-on-one time with each person. And it's super informal. It's more just like, hey, I'm going to be sitting, for me, it's I'm sitting in the yoga room, Uh, swing by, let's just like have a chit chat. It's usually just some hugs and like a couple jokes, but that sets the tone so that the first time uh, me as the teacher or me as the leader walks into the room, it's not like, ah, I'm nervous. I don't know who these people are. You know, you've established something there, which I think is important. Um, The other thing too, which might not be a direct answer to this question, but it plays into it. And it's super, super important is, When you are leading a retreat and even a workshop or an event, carve out time for yourself before it starts and during the retreat too. That is so, so important because you are going to be around so many other people's energy and that's, that's a physical and an emotional drain. Even when it's the best group of people, it's just a lot of energy. So, You know, having whatever your ritual is, some sort of prep time, whether it's meditation or journaling or going for a run before that starts so that you have some cleared space. I also deeply recommend like halfway through a retreat, if you can swing it, taking a morning off or taking a day off and just recollecting yourself because you don't want uh, depreciating value or diminishing returns on how you show up you want to keep that energy the same the whole time.
0: Totally. It's one of those things where you have to be on all the time. And if your cup's not full, you can't be serving. And that is key. But what about when you are very nervous to speak? Let's say it's your very first event, people fear public speaking as like number two or whatever over death or something when they take a poll um <laughs> what do we do to to and you're an anxiety coach so let's say people have anxiety about public speaking what would you recommend
1: anxiety 101 or like one of the sillier things that i that i tell people um and if you've been like sort of in the anxiety or self-help space you might have heard this before it's to think about your feet like when you're walking into a room or you're walking into a meeting to just draw your attention down to your feet because one that's a siloed activity. It's one foot in front of the other, one in front of the other. It becomes very methodical. So you wind up softening a lot of the excess noise in that focusing on just uh, taking steps. It does the same thing that meditation does, but you're kind of doing it in a way where you're directing focus on something so simple that there's actually less room for those nervous or those anxious thoughts to come to mind. But, you know, I was just listening to Brene Brown's Dare to Lead last night. And in that book, in the very beginning, she's talking about how nervous she was to go speak. And now this is a woman who, I mean, her entire career is built on speaking to people, gathering research, and then presenting that information. Um, And, you know, in this little clip, in this part of the book, she was just like, they're just people, right? They're just people. And you have to remember that if someone has paid money, for an event that you are hosting or even if they haven't paid, even if they just showed up, they're interested, they want to hear what you have to say and allow that to be a cushion for you, right? There are people who believe in you inherently. Their presence indicates that. So soften into that.
0: Yeah, they're on your side. I love that. Uh-huh, because I think a lot of times people just look out and see like, oh, this is so intimidating, they're staring at me. But obviously, they're staring at you because they believe you're going to help them with something. Right. <laughs> and so actually I, I wrote a blog about this a long time ago that helped me really with, cause I sing in a cover band um, and I used to get really nervous singing and I would think about how when you get nervous, it's actually selfish because it's taken away from your performance and you're not giving your best to the audience because you're just so focused on yourself and how nerve wracking it is versus just, you know, thinking about, they obviously want a good show, and so I'm going to get out of my own way for the sake of these people <laughs> and they love and that. go for it. Um, really good recommendations there. Now, when you're planning, going back really quick, do you have, besides um, breathers, which we don't know if it still exists, do you have any other tools, apps, or, you know, things that you use to keep things tight and organized and structured um, and track, you know, whatever you need to track? I love
1: just creating spreadsheets. I am such a spreadsheet queen. Um, there's no like one and done format. I create a new one for every event and it's mostly for my own benefit. Half the time, I'm not even sharing that with other people. But my biggest recommendation is I think there's a million tools out there. There's a million apps and you know, ways to make your business easier. What I see most often is that people dive into trying everything that they become even more overwhelmed. So, you know, start at the beginning. Start with what is it that you're looking to create? Is it more efficiency? Is it more organization? Is it, uh, you know, more fun? There, are, there are apps that are just like engaging interfaces, right? Like, think about what it is you want, and then just select two tools max. Anything more than that is usually unnecessary, because to be honest, most tools can do everything, or mostly everything that you need anyway.
0: And do you have a way to, for members, especially health coaches, right? Because we can't make claims that we're going to cure someone's disease, you know, from coming to this workshop. So do you have, um, and from a legal side, do you have to do any prep work for that? Do you have forms that you make them sign? Or what's the structured process for that?
1: Yeah, so I, um, it's funny because I, I just started back up with legal zoom because I you know, I have every client have a discovery session. We discuss the fact that I am not a therapist. I use therapy adjacent tactics, but I am definitely rooted in more holistic and universal theory. Um, but even though we have that face-to-face conversation, I also have that in a contract. So before any client puts their deposit or their in um, payment to me, I have them sign this contract, um, and that also includes the information about cancellation and things like that. But, uh, that's, you know, sent via docusign. I have everything. I print out everything too, because I'm, I'm sorry, environment. I'm sorry, universe, as I'm saying this, but I do too. Um, Shh.
0: It, it's, <laughs> it's okay.
1: Um, but Hey, listen, I balance it out, right? Like I recycle and my car is low emissions. So I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't like to get too litigious, but I do want to make sure that A, I'm protected and that my clients also are very clear on what I can and cannot do because the, the last thing I would want is, you know, even any legal stuff aside, you don't want to get halfway through a package with a client and realize they had a totally different understanding of how I can serve them. And then you have to backtrack.
0: Right. And what I think people are going to take away from this episode is the before work that you need to do to get the info that you need for the workshop, meaning getting, like you said, having a call or talking to the person before. So you have an idea of who's out there in the audience, what they're really looking for, and you can deliver based on their expectations. Because the worst, like you said, the worst thing you can do is, well, number one, from a legal standpoint, say that you can do something that you're not allowed to say. But number two, um just go in not knowing what they truly want and just guessing and going for it and then they're upset that they spent the money on that. So uh, really good tips there. And what would you say does not let's say you're in the room, you're doing your retreat, people seem to be resonating, but you can't please every single person. And you also can't control, you know, their feelings, their emotions, their take on, on the event. So have you ever had a nightmare situation or something where you're like, Oh my God, I can tell that the room is not responding to this and I need to quickly change the subject or anything like that, that you would, um, you've learned from. Yeah. I
1: wouldn't even call them. Um, you know, luckily I've never had like a nightmare moment, but there are definitely times because again, like I work with like sometimes very heady and esoteric concepts. There's a lot of tactical stuff. But there's also a lot of like, you know, more spiritual stuff and things like that. Um, and I've learned that when you get two head in the clouds with a brand new group, you've lost them. So for me, uh, it's really important that I'm reading the audience. And if I'm using a word where I see a couple of head tilts, it's like, okay, pause there and rephrase that or, or explain that. Um, I found one of the easiest ways to recover from something like that. You know, for example, if you're saying, you're telling a story or you're describing something that people aren't connecting with, uh, I love analogies and you can make analogies really funny. So if you can tell people aren't clicking with what you've just said, well, it's kind of like, uh, have you ever seen like a car going backwards in reverse? You know, you just like make something comparable and usually it winds up being funny. Um, and, and laughter is also a really good way to immediately reestablish connection. So, uh, it, and i think that happens to everyone you're going to lose people but the real test is can you bring them back without allowing yourself to drop into the nerves and drop into the self doubt right just see it as as the goal it's like i'm losing them great let's get them back there's not even a second to doubt yourself
0: right i love that and what about if people um somebody asked in uh, when i was asking people what they wanted to know about planning retreats on social media they said What kind of activities do you do to keep them engaged? So instead of literally just talking the entire time, what do you do? Do you do breakout groups and then have some kind of game or any tips for when it comes to planning activities?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the structure is really important because, especially if you're doing a retreat in a location that's exotic or a destination for people, you don't want to have the entire retreat be meetings and be lessons because people are going to become, even if they don't mean to, there's going to be resentment because, oh my God, it's gorgeous in Bali and like I'm still in another lesson. Like, how is this possible? So what I found, um, and especially the retreat company that I work with, uh, Revamp Retreats, what's worked best for us is usually a morning class, a lot of free time, right? Especially if there's meals included, people will reconvene, but then some sort of event or class at the end of the night to mark that day. And it's really helpful to have the days set up as themes, right? So day one is like uh, breaking down your fears, Day two is dropping into trust. Day three is whatever. And so when you set the tone from the beginning, people are locked into that concept and you'll see that it just starts to weave in and out of their conversation. So they're still very much engaged while they have opportunity to enjoy themselves outside of your workshop.
0: Yeah, well, when you said you're going to a beautiful location, it seems like they would be so sad if they were just stuck in a room. And, um, and it'd be cool if even you could like Give them things to do out in nature that are centered around the topic of the retreat. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So, what about collecting feedback and the aftermath of a retreat? So, people go home and let's say even a workshop, too. There's always a process of following up or maybe getting feedback for your next one or upselling to working with you one on one if that's something that you feel like they would benefit from. Like, what? What's kind of the process afterwards?
1: Yeah. So if it's a workshop or a retreat setting, by the end of that day or that week, I've already identified potential clients and not like, ooh, they look like they should be my client. I've established some sort of connection and coaching in some way has probably already come up organically in the conversation Um, with the retreat, I like to give a couple days after they get back because there's huge integration that needs to happen. Um, but after a workshop, you know, as someone's leaving, I'm like, Hey, let me make sure I have your information. I'll send you a note and then we can just go from there. I like to keep it clear, but casual because the last thing you want after an event, if you're uh, following up with someone is to seem like needy or cloying right i think the energetic behind anything where you're following up or looking for feedback you have to be in a place where it's like i just want to get this information to benefit everyone rather than i want it to benefit me and that's again like an emotional thing that you work on in the
0: background but that's that's palpable when
1: you're communicating with people after an event
0: clear and casual I love that because you and you did say when people when you're coming at it from a desperate or a needy energy people see right through that and that is not that's not a coaching mentality it's not a coaching value or or, or thing to be um demonstrating so and it and it really the root of solving that part is the self-worth piece like you said. So what are like one to three tips people who are just listening to this and like I want to do all these things but she keeps saying you need to believe in yourself and have self-worth. Do you have any tips for how you've, you know, built your confidence and what people can do to feel more worthy?
1: Yeah, it's I get this question a lot on the client front when they're like okay, but how do i love myself how do i believe in myself and i think like the biggest overarching piece of advice is that and i make this analogy a lot to to going to the gym you don't you know lift 10 pound weights once and turn into arnold schwarzenegger it happens over time and you might also not ever turn into arnold schwarzenegger for a, a variety of reasons um but you see where i'm going and that it takes repetition and there needs to be some sort of dedication to it uh So the same thing, dedication to your value and your growth, it's constant check-in on how fearful or how confident you feel on a day-to-day basis. When you feel yourself dipping more into fear or into fear more often than not, start to notice what makes you fearful. Like get very clear on that. Is it other people judging you? Is it you feel like you might fail and that's scary? Like figure out, so in other words, those are really your triggers. And then the next time that pops up, I want you to do the exact opposite of what you normally do, right? So when most of us are faced with our triggers, we go into habitual thinking. Uh, So we'll shrink, we'll minimize, we won't, we'll back away. I want you to do the exact opposite. I want you to go forward anyway. Send that email. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Someone doesn't answer? Cool. Abundance mindset. There's more people. Keep going. Um, and as you start to build that habit of just continuing to push forward again with uh, authenticity and and integrity, but that becomes more natural. And so you build up confidence and then that starts to create this like positive snowball effect.
0: Mm -hmm. Do it anyway is kind of the key (laughs) and, and stepping into what your confident self would do maybe in that situation. What are the no-no's? Like anything that we haven't touched on that you would say was like, ooh, never do this, don't do this, and don't do this (laughs) when you're planning your retreat or workshop?
1: You know, I mean, the the main no-no I think would be don't wing it too much, right? Like I, I actually am very much a winger. I don't like to prepare a lot of things because for me, too much structure, I know that I'll like get caught up on that and I'll flood my words or whatever. Um, but I also would never go into something with, without having like bullets of what I want to talk to, or having some idea or some picture of how I want it to work out. So, you know, don't wing it, right? Especially if people are investing uh, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, even to engage with you, make sure you are showing up for that price point. That is so, so important. Um, and I, honestly, the other don't is just don't talk yourself out of it. You know, that there are so many brilliant and talented people, e- even coaches truly who who I know, or who I've seen, who have so much potential and the only thing stopping them is themselves. And they keep saying like, Oh, I'll do it later. Oh, I don't know. Like so-and-so is better than me. Don't look around to your competition. The only competition is within yourself. And again, what I was saying before, just keep going, just keep going.
0: I love it. I want to talk about your transition because you, um, left your full-time job i believe in the within the last was it the last year or two years yeah last two years okay and we want to know what was that transition what was the point of you feeling like all right it's time i'm there i mean you're never there but you know what i mean (laughs) and i want to leave my job what was that process like
1: so I, I knew I wanted to not be in a corporate world. I did not want to have a boss um, for no reason. I, you know, I was really lucky. I had a lot of really good bosses and I had a lot of great coworkers, but my heart was just never in any of the things that I was doing,
0: even if what, I tell our audience it. what you did, because I know you, I know it, but I don't think they do. <laughs>
1: So I I worked in uh, the tech space uh, primarily on the marketing side, but once in a while, I would kind of hop to the creative side, depending on the company. Um, And I worked at a bunch of different startups, and I loved that because you could wear a million different hats and do a bunch of things. But I always came back to the thought, if I can do this for someone else's company, I can absolutely do this for myself. And that was probably one of the realizations where I was like, okay, okay. It's possible I need to start making moves, but there is preparation that has to come into play, right? Building up a client base, understanding what your business offerings are, building up your confidence in selling yourself. And so I was really fortunate in that I had a very open relationship with um, my last company. And so I just told them like, this is not my forever and I am as invested as I can be. But if there's anything we can work out, I would love to. And we literally just wound up creating sort of like a trickle down plan where I went from full time. Yeah. So what was interesting was that I went from full time to three days a week. And I kind of picked the date for me to go three days a week uh, at random. And then the second I said it, I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be ready by that day. That That's so that's so soon. Um, but it made me work. It, it forced me to make that transition. And so knowing that, I set my quit date like two months earlier than I was really comfortable with because you can extend anything as long as you want, but you can actually start things way sooner than you want to too. So yeah, I just kind of very abbreviated
0: the timeline and
1: everything worked out.
0: <laughs> that is brilliant. What a cool situation where you are able to kind of scale it down and, and honestly, I think more people would be able to have the situation they want in life if they conjured up the courage to ask and also be resourceful the way you were where you gave yourself kind of a deadline and it forced you to step up to the plate rise to the occasion make it happen figure it out and and you know learn and learn what you needed to learn so i think there's a few themes here in this episode the resourcefulness the you know, preparing in advance, but also not gluing yourself to a situation that is not going to serve you or that's, that's limiting yourself from other things. Um, and then just the ability to know your self-worth, know your, that you can be confident, build it over time with baby steps. Um, I think those are like some key take home, takeaway points. You summarized it, girl. I think that's it. (laughs) You can tell I'm very type A because I'm like, okay, here's, here's the, here's the lessons. Here's now. Here's here's how I'm going to apply them. Um, okay, so now where? Tell us about your most recent retreat coming up. Um, where it is? How can people learn about you? And how can people connect with you? Yeah. So my
1: next retreat, which I'm so excited about, we just had uh, one of our planning calls a couple of days ago. It's in Costa Rica. It's an entrepreneurship and wellness retreat. So everyone who's coming on the retreat is either um, running their own business or curious about running their own business. So it's part yoga and meditation. I'll be teaching that every morning. And then my partner and I will be splitting um, mindset workshops. So we have some cool stuff about balancing masculine and feminine energy because that stuff really comes into play, even if you're not into the woo-woo side of things that understanding is super key. And then like surfing and ATV riding. So it's, it, it's just going to be so fun. <laughs> um, so that is in May. Uh, and that information and then just all information on how to connect with me is on Instagram. My handle is anxiety to empowerment, which is all one word and very long, but I am the only person with that name. So you will definitely be able to find me.
0: I love it. Okay. And one last question for any new entrepreneur who is a health, in the health or wellness field, what would you say your best, maybe three pieces of advice would be? Um,
1: it sort of echoes what we talked about, but really understand who you're serving, right? Don't, casting a wide net can be helpful in some cases, but when you are a health coach specifically, what is the real clientele that you're trying to work with? You know, for me, I'm, I'm as specific as at this point, I really only work with independent business owners and C-suite executives. And I have a bunch of reasons for that. But that lens is really helpful in understanding who you should and shouldn't work with. Um, two, carve out time for yourself. Because what I see a lot, and I feel this too, is when you love your job and when you're self-employed the lines between work life and play get very blurred and it's important that you have a life outside of your job even if you love it to pieces and it's your calling you have to have room for play Um, and then the last thing I mean kind of piggybacking off of that but find more ways to have fun we make even like the most minute tasks sometimes feel heavier than they need to right? like sure no one likes doing their taxes But ask yourself when you're doing things that feel really tough or mundane, how can I make this a little bit easier for myself right now? How can I make this less miserable? And you'll find that asking that question over time creates that natural instinct or that muscle response where you're like, eh, I can loosen up here a little bit and I can still get everything done. And that just makes not only you a happier entrepreneur, but you wind up being more productive because you're wasting less time on like the niggling and the back and forth and all of that stuff.
0: Brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this. And um, everybody check out Anxiety to Empowerment on Instagram. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to get your free gift over at HaleyRowe.com by joining my email list. And remember, you can always connect with me and other health coaches in the Health Coach Nation free Facebook group, where I post trainings and videos on how to take your health coaching business to the next level. Can't wait to connect with you. Have an awesome day.